0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Restoration Temples podcast out of Lima, Ohio. Today, Associate Pastor Keith Picard has a sermon entitled, His Kingdom. Let's join him as he gets underway. His Kingdom. Uh, a couple weeks ago or whenever that was, I know we looked at His will. That was the last time we, I spoke was about His will. And what we're going to look at today is His Kingdom, what it means to live in His Kingdom. In Matthew 6, the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? And I know we've looked at this many times. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 15, Jesus said, pray then like this, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We could probably all say it together, couldn't we? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, what the Lord's been showing me is that all those things that are in there in that prayer are all tied together. Every single one of those. His will is tied to the kingdom. His kingdom comes as we walk out His will. And we'll see some more of that as we get into this. But then He goes on to verse 14. I mean, isn't that great? I mean, what would you expect Jesus to say after teaching the disciples this prayer? I know one thing, I wouldn't expect what he had to say next. And that's this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, that's heavy, isn't it? Why did Jesus go there? Right after telling him, this is how I want you to pray. Well, the bottom line, I think, really, to today's message is because Jesus knew this is the enemy's number one attack jesus is telling you this is what god's will is for us this is what god wants us to pray for the most powerful prayer we can ever pray is god's word right the most powerful prayer we can pray is his will for someone god i pray that you grow them in righteousness god i pray that you heal them god just loves answering those prayers And so, Jesus is saying, I want you to pray this way, but be careful because this is a warning. There's actually someone that doesn't want us to walk this out. Someone that doesn't want us to live this way. Because God does have a plan for us and we see it in Romans 14. And again, so many of these verses are going to be, you probably can quote them. Uh, Romans 14 verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So do you feel acceptable by God? I think Steve Sampson brought that out, that this is one of the things that I think all Christians really struggle with. It's like, I'm not doing enough, or I'm doing the wrong things, I'm not doing enough good things, you know, whatever. That's a real thing in us, isn't it? That we know we're saved, but we're probably not good enough to really do anything because we're not there yet. Wherever there is at, we don't feel that at times. Maybe some of you do. God bless you if you do. But a lot of us struggle with that, don't we? Of feeling like we're just inadequate or that we're not quite up to something. That there's some standard that we're not meeting. You ever feel that way? The enemy a lot of times loves to take that and say, You know what, you're right, you're not, and then down you go. But the truth is is that we are actually made righteous through Christ. And that our really our task is to stay right. And the way we do that is Remember I referenced last time the book, I think it's Dean Paxton. I can't remember the first. I think it's Dean. Uh, but his book was In Heaven. It's a guy who actually passed away for like 90 minutes. He, he, he died while on the operating time, table. And, and during that time, the Lord took him up to heaven and showed him all this stuff. And, and part of what he experienced when he went up to heaven was this sense of everything being right. Of everything being right. And I really kind of pondered that a lot uh, since I read that, and the Lord kind of seemed to to show a different side of righteousness to me because of that. Because in the past, I've always thought of righteousness as kind of like holiness. It's this big, unattainable thing that's almost like a hammer or a club. I'm going to club you with righteousness. You need to be righteous. You're not being righteous. Whack, whack, whack. It's really more of learning to walk right. Making right decisions. Having right thoughts. Thinking the mind of Christ. Tearing down every stronghold. Tearing down everything that comes against the truth of Jesus Christ in our mind. That's really what rightness is. And that, you know, here on earth, we're going to constantly be bombarded with stuff. As long as we're here. In heaven, everything will be right, but right here, our atmosphere, or everything that's around us, rather, is really wrong. We love vacations. Don't we? Vacations are awesome. We've tried staycations. You ever done that? You know what a staycation is? It's where you take a vacation. You're not working. That's, that's wonderful. But then you stay at home. That's a staycation. You stay home. You're on vacation. Well, those are great until, you know, Diane and I go, oh, let's go sit on, on the deck and we'll sit up there. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Have a cup of coffee. And it lasts about five minutes. And you start looking around and you go, oh, that needs fixed. And oh, boy, oh, gosh, I haven't done that yet. Oh, I've meant to do that forever. I better go, oh, I've got a whole week. I could do that now. Well, there went the vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Because everything around me, everything in our house is not right. I guarantee you, just visit us. You'll see everything's not right. <laughs> we have a lot that's not right. Well, that's how it is in our lives. You know, we look at our lives and we see things in our lives, it's just not right. Isn't that true? Aren't there things that the Lord is dealing with you about? Aren't there things that you know aren't right yet? Well, I I tell you, the Lord is so gracious. He is so wonderful to do one thing at a time. (laughs) Aren't you glad? I mean, think back to all the things that the Lord has taught you, that the Lord has healed you of, that the Lord has corrected you of, you know, slowly, time by time. And isn't it true that He does it gradually? That he does this, and then he, you kind of you focus on one thing at a time. Because if he gave me the whole list at the beginning, I'd say, forget it, I'm out of here, I'm not doing this. But the Lord is very gracious and very faithful to give us just what we need as we need it to walk us into righteousness. That's His desire for us, and really the way that we can walk that out is to simply make right decisions. Uh, so righteousness, uh, the the definition by thayer is the state of him who is as he ought to be the condition acceptable to god and that's what's going to happen i tell you that is one of the most exciting things about heaven to me is that there won't be all this the flesh you know the, all these this part of us that wants us to do wrong and that we're always struggling with that that'll be gone and that we'll be able to just relax it'll be a staycation where the home is perfect That's what heaven's going to be. Everything's going to be right. Amen? Amen. And that's what God wants in our lives is for us to learn to walk in the kingdom. That's why He says pray. His kingdom come. His will be done. God wants us in His kingdom now. Jesus said, my kingdom is here now. It's here now for us. It's available to us. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit. A deposit, the way the word is... Uh, That Greek word is, uh, what's the term? When you're going to buy a house, you give, it's like good faith money. I forget what you call it. Earnest, that's it. That's the word in the Greek. What that means is that the Holy Spirit is given to us as earnest money. When God gives us the Holy Spirit, He says, this is all for you. And I'm giving you the Holy Spirit so you can get a little percentage, 10%, whatever the percentage is of what I have for you. And we can experience that now as we learn to walk with the Holy Spirit, as we learn to listen to Him, be guided by Him. Boy, there's such a joy. Peace and joy. Really? Yeah, actually there is in the Holy Spirit as we walk that out. That God wants us to have it. In fact, if you go to Greece today, the word that they use for engagement ring is the same word. as that word deposit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as like an engagement ring to the Lord. It's a deposit. It's a guarantee. This is coming for us. Amen? Amen. It's exciting. It really is. I mean, what good would it be for someone that's engaged to go, well, I suppose it's going to happen someday, but I'm just going to live my life the way, you know, whatever. That's not how you live, is it? When you're engaged, you're, yes, I can't wait. And you adjust your life towards that person, don't you? You kind of think a lot about that person, don't you? It's borderline disgusting, isn't it? Would you stop talking about that person? I believe that's God's desire for us. Amen? So, do we walk in that righteousness, peace, and joy? I think if we did, Jesus wouldn't have to give us that warning, right? (laughs) Well, and actually in James, uh, James 4, 7 and 8, there's this great verse that a lot of us know. And I heard a teaching recently where they said we can all quote this portion of Scripture that says resist the devil and he would flee from you, right? We all know that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But what they pointed out is that it's not the whole verse. The verse actually starts with submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In other words, we, we don't just resist the devil out in the blue with nothing else going on. In order for us to have the power to resist the devil, it begins with us submitting to God. Submitting to God. The word submit means subordinate or be under obedience. It means whatever God says we do. What the Lord gave me is, is a phrase to try and explain what I felt the Lord wanted from me when I went into my quiet time. This is years ago. He said, I want you to have this. He wanted me to have premeditated Surrender premeditated surrender, part of submitting is that when I go into my quiet time with Him, I go in with the mind of, I surrender to You, Lord, whatever You say, I will do. Father, wherever You lead, I will go. Whatever, whatever You want from me. God, I before You tell me what it is and I have a chance to judge it and decide and go, mm, I don't know. If You would have asked me something else, I'd have done it, but that. Mm, no, I ain't doing that. Before I get to all that garbage, I go, God, I don't care what it is. I want to do it. Give me the grace to do it. <laughs> kind of like Peter, you know, help me. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. You know, we have the same kind of prayer. Or God has taught me to have that same kind of prayer of God. I want to obey. Help my disobedience. <laughs> Give me a heart that wants to do what you're asking me to do. I know what you want me to do. Like Pastor said, he had that great message years ago about we could all pass the test. Does anybody here think or not know what the right thing to do is? We all know. We could pass a test. Should we lie? Yes or no. True or false. Well, I think we'd all get that right. We all know we should lie or not lie or whether we should or shouldn't or all the other things that, that we know that we're a little off on. It really is going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And so when I go into prayer or I go into my quiet time with premeditated surrender, that's where God meets me and says, this is what I want you to do. And then it's so much easier to just flow in that. Amen. Amen. Okay, so what's the context? For this verse. That's a great verse, isn't it? Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Isn't that a great promise? It is. Well, let's look at the context of that. I remember when Dana was here, she used to use a phrase. It was called a hot mess. A hot mess. That's what this church was. That's who this is to. This is actually this is written by James to and, and the way it's it's phrases to the the dispersion of the churches. In other words, James was involved with the church in in Jerusalem and some of those people had left and, and basically dispersed out into other areas and started other churches. And James is writing this letter to all these different churches. And you start reading through this and it's just ugly. It really is. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Wow. Is it not this that your passions are at war with you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. Remember, this is a church. (laughs) Come on. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, church people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And he goes on and on with all this stuff, double-minded, speaking evil against each other, judges his brother. What is going on? What happened to these churches? Because you know the beginning, I'm sure, was great. People are saved. They're so excited and yay. And something happened between then and when James wrote this letter. What happened? John 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's what happened. I'm telling you what: as great as it is in the kingdom, and as great as it is to come here and be with each other and everything, Jesus warned us at the end of his prayer, Watch out for unforgiveness because there is an enemy. <laughs> who wants to come in and just tear us up. And he does it so subtly. He does it so subtly. We'll see that in a second. And Jesus also said that Satan is a murderer and there's no truth in him. He's a liar. You know, have you ever wondered how... This is probably a better way to look at it. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Have you ever had... Have you ever thought about that? Like the enemy, Satan is a, is a lion seeking who he can devour. Have you ever experienced that? Not really. Not. I mean, depends on how you think of it. Are you thinking he's an actual lion? Well, no. But he does seek to, desire, to devour. And how does he do that? How does he do that? Because he's saying here to resist him. Resist him. How do we do that? 2 Corinthians 2.10 Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan for we are not ignorant of his designs. God has a plan for each and every one of us. Guess what? So does our enemy. He has designs. He has plans. He has traps. He has things He wants to mess up our lives with. And it's funny because, you know, the... The Bible doesn't tell us to defeat Satan. It tells us to resist him. Satan's already defeated. Jesus Christ won the victory on the cross. It's done. Someday Satan's getting thrown in hell forever and all his demons and all that, whatever's going to happen there. But until then, we are called upon to resist him. So how do we? For we are not ignorant of of his designs. And the thing to see here is that forgiveness is part of our fight. You know, sometimes we get into situations and forgiveness is seen as kind of a, well, I know I should kind of a thing. And I think what the Lord really wants or what the Lord is oppressing on me is that forgiveness is more than just a single thing between me and that person. That this is part of the kingdom. This is part of beating back the enemy. That forgiveness is something that evolves a whole lot more. Uh, Ephesians 4:26 says, "Be angry and do not sin. do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Opportunity." And in the NIV the near, I won't say that never mind. Uh, the NIV says foothold. King James says "place." And that word "opportunity means a place, or any portion of the space marked off, as it were, from a surrounding space, an inhabited space. What he's saying here is don't give a place for the enemy in our lives. You kind of think about that, that's kind of scary. I mean, how is it that we would ever <laughs> want to give the enemy any area of our lives, any part of whatever God is doing in our life, and yet he says here, don't do it, uh, because that's, that's a possibility. And if, in the Amplified Version says, do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger, or harboring resentment, or cultivating bitterness. Isn't it amazing that when we allow ourselves to have bitterness, when we allow ourselves to have a grudge, or nurture anger, all these things that are so natural, aren't they? (laughs) It's natural to feel these things. But when we let ourselves fall into that, we're basically advancing the wrong kingdom. God, Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And yet, when we allow the enemy to tempt us into doing these things, it seems so, it's personal. It's me. The only one that affects is me. Well, it's not. We're actually advancing the wrong kingdom. Luke 17.1 says, and he said to his disciples, to tempt, temptations to sin are sure to come. That word temptations to sin is the word scandalon. It means a trap stick, a bent sapling. It's, it's, like, it's like the old-timey traps. You see seen where you have a box and there's a stick. And then it's tied to something. There's a new-timey trap. But the old timeies were, were a box and a stick or a sapling, and it was tied to bait. And when the animal go in and get the bait, the box would fall. And that's what he says offenses are. What are offenses? It's things that then we cannot forgive. That's what an offense is. Offense or a thing that offends. That's what the scandal on is. And I can't remember, is it Blackwell or not Blackwell? Who was the pastor that had that message on that? It's part of the tape series. Yeah. Might have been. Yeah, fantastic. Good series on that. Anyway, when someone does something to us that we want to be offended on, what the Lord wants us to seek when you do one of these traps see last time we talked about poison the way to kill a mouse you got two ways to do it if you have mice in your house poison or traps poison or traps sometimes the enemy uses poison where he gives us something that looks good but there's poison in it. it's gonna kill us right other times he tempts us with things that are actually yummy yummy delicious and they won't kill you it's just if you take it that'll kill you right that's that situation I mean, what do you put on a trap? Do you put poison on a trap? Well, no, you don't have to because as soon as they take that, they're dead, right? Snap. That's what happens. And really, what's on there looks delicious to that mouse, right? When we're offended, well, what's the first thought that comes to your mind? I know what comes to mind. I would never do that, right? That's the basis of so many offenses. I would never do that to anyone. How could you do that to me have you ever thought that maybe it's just me maybe i'm the only one you guys are all perfect (laughs) wouldn't that be wonderful the truth is though is that the enemy is so so good at this that jesus at the end of telling us how to pray said you've got to forgive i'm telling you this is a trap that we're all tempted with we're all tempted with this and as delicious as it is to think on those things, and, and if you, all you look at is the actual offense, you'll miss the trap. And the trap is really what springs when we start feeding on whatever that is. And the, what the, our Father wants us to see is that there's a price to pay for that. This is Matthew 18. This is the end of the story that Jesus taught about the unforgiving servant i know we talked about this before but i want to look at just the end of this because what the the master after the unforgiving servant had basically been forgiven this insurmountable payment that he could never ever ever pay then his his friend or his other fellow servant owed him something that was a lot it was like a half year's wages or something like that it was a lot of money but it was nothing compared to what he'd been forgiven of And after that, then he basically, I'm putting you in jail until you pay, which to me, put you in jail until you pay. But that's what he did. And then his master summoned him, the servant, and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And you know that's the key? The word mercy means compassion. And we're going to look at that here in a second. Verse 34 says, And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus finishes this with this statement. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. It's almost like he's trying to tell us something. Warning. Danger. <laughs> Danger. Danger. And notice that at the end of this story, he doesn't free the other servant. Both people, both servants end up in prison. When we don't forgive someone, it's bad on us. Or basically, it's like, you know, unforgiveness, we've all heard this, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hope the other person dies. Right? We've all heard that. Well, actually, though, when you don't, forgive other people, there's something that happens where something happens to that other person too. It's not just about us. But what God wants us to have, the one antidote that we see here to unforgiveness, is what the master said that servant should have had. And what is it? Mercy. Compassion. Luke 15-20, And he, the prodigal son, arose and came to his father. Don't you love the story of the prodigal son? It's actually not the story of the prodigal son. It's a story about the father, right? It's really Jesus showing us what the father looks like. So when the prodigal son arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And like I know I've said before, if I was that guy, if I was the father, I'd be standing there like this. Well, what do you got now? You wanted all your money, I gave it all to you, and you wasted it all. I told you not to do that, and you did it. Hmm. Come crawling back to me. That's not what our Father does. How surprising is that? Our Heavenly Father is better than us. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> he felt compassion, and he ran. He ran. I, I can't tell you how big of a deal that is. In, in the old culture like that, that was a big deal to run. That was not dignified. And yet the Father ran. And He embraced Him and kissed Him. They welcomed Him back. He felt compassion after all that the Son had done. What the Son said at the very beginning of the story is, Give me my inheritance, which is basically saying, I wish you were dead. And yet, our Heavenly Father had compassion on Him. The other story that Jesus told was the one of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and when a Samaritan as he journeyed came to where he was and when he saw him he had compassion he had compassion he went to him and he bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine and then he sent him his own animal and brought him in and took care of him and, and paid for the guy and came back and said if he needs any more here's some more money just to cover him and the thing to see here is that in both of these instances these are examples of God showing us how first how our Heavenly Father has compassion. Secondly, Jesus is saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to have compassion. And notice that in both these instances, compassion wasn't just a, oh, I feel so sorry for you, and go on our way. It led to action. The action that we should have when someone has offended us or hurt us or whatever that is, is to pray for them. There is such power in praying for people, especially when they've hurt you or offended you or done something that you say, I would never do that. How could they do that? You know, the greatest prayer you can pray for them at that point is simply, God, help them. Help them. God, make them all you intend for them to be. God, bless them in every way. You know, if they're doing something that's hurting other people, say, Lord, help them to see what they're doing. Help them to, to not do that anymore, whatever that is. But as you pray for someone, I can't explain it. God pours compassion into your heart for that person. And I can tell you that's true because I know it's happened to me. There have been some things in my past that people have done that I thought at times there's no way I could ever forgive them for that. And over time, God has put His compassion for them in my heart to where I can truly pray for them and say, God I, God, I just pray that You would save them. I pray that You would bless them. I pray that You would forgive them for what they did for me. What did Jesus say on the cross? Forgive them. <laughs> As He's being crucified, forgive them. That's the heart of the Lord. In fact, in Matthew 9, and these are just uh, three verses, but it's really just a couple of the many times that Jesus had compassion. And it's really kind of the hallmark of Jesus' ministry. How many times he's like, you know, going someplace and he's ready to basically call it a day, and then there's people keep coming at him, and he just keeps pouring out, pouring out. He never says, Guys, I'm done. Come back tomorrow. He always, like like Steve Sampson said, he was always willing to be interrupted. It's amazing. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew 14.14 says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And in Matthew 20.34, he was moved with compassion, touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. That's the ministry of Jesus. Has been Compassion. And that's really the key to offense. If you've been offended, if anything has offended you in the past, it really comes down to having compassion for people. And the way to compassion is praying for them. When you do, that God will give you the compassion for that person. Amen? There is a book entitled The Bait of Satan. This is a fantastic book. Uh, This is an old book. This has been around a long time. And I like the subtitle, I guess. It's really tiny. It's right here. I don't know if you can see that. That's why I put it up there living free from the deadly trap of offense. And if you, I guess I'm just throwing this out there that if anyone has something they struggle with that comes to this, I just felt like I was supposed to share and just put this book out there. That if there's anyone that, that that would say, Lord, I need help in this area or whatever that is, I just, I just feel like that's, that's a resource for you. I want to read just a couple Quick quotes from that. I'm going to give you the, what do they call that? The short version? Cliff notes. We construct walls. These are excerpts from the book. We construct walls when we are hurt to safeguard our hearts and prevent any future wounds. We become selective, denying entry to all we fear will hurt us. We filter out anyone we think owes us something. We withhold access until these people have paid their debts in full. Isn't that what we want? You're going to pay. That's what we want. But it's not, <laughs> that's not right. We open our lives only to those we believe are on our side. Bitterness is a root. If roots are nursed, watered, protected, fed, and given attention, they increase in depth and strength. If not dealt with quickly, roots are hard to pull up. Haven't you found that to be true? Lord, help us see our roots as quick as they happen. The strength of the offense will continue to grow. We are therefore exhorted not to let the sun go down on our wrath. Now, instead of the fruit of righteousness being produced, we will see a harvest of anger, resentment, jealousy, hatred, strife, and discord. Jesus called these evil fruits. In fact, sometimes if we have things in our life that we're trying to get rid of and we don't understand what it is, there might be a root. And the Holy Spirit will show you. Just pray. Ask God to show you what it is. Do I need to forgive someone? What is it that's causing this? That can happen. Do not be afraid to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal any unforgiveness or bitterness. The longer you hide it, the stronger it will become. And boy, that is so true. And the harder your heart will grow. Stay tender hearted. How? Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Half the battle is realizing you're in a battle. Again, what the Lord was really showing me was that just the bigger scope of things, of saying that when we have these issues that come up in our lives, when these, these, you have these offenses or whatever it is that's going on in our lives, to see that it's bigger than just between me and that person. That there's a spiritual war going on behind it. And that what God wants for us is to walk in His kingdom Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great for all of us to be walking in that? That's my prayer for me. And I'm sure all of our prayers for ourselves is that God would lead us into that, to flow in the Holy Spirit. I really, when I began my notes on this, uh, putting together my notes, I, I felt like the Lord told me the title was His Kingdom. And I, at the end of it, I went, well, I should change the title. It doesn't sound like the title of this it should be his kingdom. It should be offenses or something like that. And what the Lord showed me is no, leave it because this is his kingdom. This is what his kingdom looks like. You know, his kingdom, there are two, <laughs> there are two foes, essentially. There's God and we are part of his kingdom, but there is a, an enemy that's trying to attack <laughs> us and to never forget that that when someone does something to you realize that they have been tempted by the enemy to say that to us see beyond it see beyond the actual words that they're saying and see aha that's the enemy that's the enemy saying that to me and it makes it so much easier then to forgive and to let it go amen i Mm, how do i say that I, i really had a hard time going ahead and preaching this today because I feel like everyone here is great. I feel like I need to let you know that. I feel like we are all fine. We're all good. But I also know that we have an enemy. And the point is, this isn't about anyone here. Can I make that clear? Our focus is not on each other. Our focus is not on what's been said or not said or whatever all that is. Our focus needs to be That God wants to walk in His kingdom and we have an enemy that's attacking it. So please understand that I don't believe the Lord is saying, you rotten person for saying this or you rotten person. If the Lord leads you into that, that's great. But I don't believe that's the intent of the Lord this morning. I believe He wants us to walk in freedom. Jesus said the enemy, basically Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it more abundantly. We have two options. Like Steve said, we can choose life and we can choose death. When we choose to walk in forgiveness, we're choosing life. I remember recently it was said one of the marks of maturity of a Christian is to not be offended. I think that's true. (laughs) That's my hope. That's my goal is to walk in such a way that when those things come, they can just... Like a duck's back, however, you know, that rolls right off. That's my prayer for myself is that when those attacks come, they just, I'm like, nope, it's not for me. And just don't take it. Don't eat that cheese. <laughs> Amen. Be lactose intolerant. No cheese for me. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Dear Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that you. Sink this message into our heart. I pray that you help us to walk this out. God, I just pray that you would help all of us to walk in all that you have for each and every one of us. Father, I know that you want us to walk in forgiveness. I know that you want us to walk in your freedom, in your peace and joy. And I pray that all the things that the enemy would do to steal, to kill, to murder, to destroy our peace, to, to steal and kill and murder and destroy our joy, Father, that you would show us those things and help us. The fight against it is the word, with the truth, with the truth of who you are and what you've done for us and the truth of really what's behind all this, Father. And I pray that in Jesus' name for each and every one of us, Father, that we would all walk in peace and joy and in your righteousness, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. If you'd like notes from today, please email us at restorationtemple@live.com at Thanks again for listening and have a blessed week.